Well, good morning, Crossroads. Thank you. Good morning, Crossroads. <laughs> uh, my name is Lance. I'm the creative arts director here, and I hope I can live up to the introduction Paul gave me. Uh, it is my pleasure to be here with you today, and uh, I am a huge fan of the This Is Us TV show, so I'm stoked that we're doing this series uh, and that we're kind of walking in line with the TV show, exploring some of the themes and characters from the show, uh, and I'm really stoked that I get to be a part of it. So thanks for letting me be here. Um, one thing, important note, right out of the gate, uh, spoiler alert, okay? Uh, if you have not, uh, caught, if you've not caught up on the show uh, today and throughout the rest of the series, we're going to be bringing up different topics and, and uh, things that happen throughout the entire course of the show. So if you're not caught up and you love the show, uh, just be prepared. You're going to hear something that might spoil a story arc later on. Um, but if you love the show and you're not caught up, I'd like to apologize to you, but well, if you're not caught up at this point, that's kind of on you, so hashtag sorry not sorry, okay? Um, so today we're going to be focusing on one of the big three, Kate, like Paul said. Uh, Kate has battled a number of different issues over the first two seasons of the show. She's struggled with her weight, various self-worth and confidence issues. Uh, she's dealt with rejection, loss, loneliness, depression. Uh, her and her new husband, Toby, have fought, cried, separated, reunited, and suffered a miscarriage together. So Kate and really the whole Pearson family have endured so much trial and heartache in their lives. But as we look at the person of Kate, I want to spend some time talking about two key issues that have kind of been an ongoing theme for her throughout the course of her life. And those are low self-worth and depression. Um, now, I do want to say depression and low self-worth are not unique to Kate. They can hit anyone. Now, as we look through the scriptures, we become aware very quickly that many of the key players that we read about uh, knew at one time or another great discouragement and deep depression. Job is singled out as a man of God, blameless and upright, whose staggering losses and a long painful illness brought him low. He says this at one point, my days come to an end without hope. My eye will never again see anything good. You ever felt that way? Moses is described as the meekest man on earth, and he rises as one of the greatest examples of when an ordinary man who submitted to God became one of the greatest of all the Old Testament characters. Now, we spent a lot of time talking about him in the last series, but there came this time when Moses felt the crushing weight of the assignment that God had given him, and he says this, he cries out, how can I bear your problems or your burdens or your disputes all by myself? Elijah, David, Jonah, Jeremiah, Nehemiah, Ezekiel, Peter, and more, over and over again throughout the pages of the Bible, key movers and shakers in the kingdom of God who were all well acquainted with darkness and depression. All that to say, if you were feeling depressed today or thinking that maybe you don't matter, you're in good company. Okay, uh, one writer calls depression the common cold of emotional disorders. All of our lips have spoken the words of discouragement and depression. All of our hearts have felt it. To be human is to feel that numbing, exhausting, demotivating fog of depression and low self-worth. So I think it's very important that as we discuss these important issues, that we also acknowledge there are different causes 
for depression and different types of depression. But we're going to be taking a very holistic, kind of generalized look at this topic today. Um, But it's important to note that our condition... Our feelings of depression and sadness are, and please forgive a very clinical word, multi-determined. Meaning that there is more than one source or factor at play contributing to what we are feeling and experiencing. And really, this is true for any matter of the mind and heart. Uh, Firstly, there's potentially a biological component. Meaning that uh, there could be a genetic predisposition. There could be a medical factor that contributes to whatever issue you're dealing with. Now, we're not clear if there's any biological issues at play for Kate, but depression with a biological root is deeply complicated because its triggers lie within the form of chemical imbalance, which means one cannot escape the black hole without medical attention. Now, there's also a psychological component to the issue. The way we perceive the world, the way we think, plays an important part in the way we feel. The Bible reminds us of this fact in Proverbs 23, 7, which says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Our thoughts, the way we think, what we believe, contributes greatly to how we feel, how we behave, and who we are. And if we believe something about ourselves that isn't true, well, that's when we start to have some serious problems. A large part of Kate's issues with depression and self-worth seem to stem from some psychological root. She believes some things about herself that aren't true. She believes that she isn't as talented or pretty as her mother. She believes that she isn't worthy of Toby's love. And she believes that she's responsible for her dad's death. It's no surprise that someone who believes these things about themselves would also be depressed. Additionally, there is a sociological piece that factors into our condition. This is where our environment, our circumstances, our culture, and the world around us figure into the equation. Now, Lord knows there are countless sociological reasons to be depressed or to have negative feelings about yourself. Really, all you have to do is turn on the TV or maybe watch the news. And just as an aside, like, I would love to hear an honest opening to a news report just once. Like, welcome to the evening news. We're surprised you made it through another day. Here's what happened to those who didn't. Like, it's depressing, right? But wouldn't it be nice if they just were honest with us one time? Friends, let me tell you this. Sometimes depression is a natural and rational response to the world around us. Because of sin, the world is a depressing place. When you take a look around at the world we're living in, one might be more apt to think that there's something wrong with you if you're not depressed. And for Kate, I think the sociological part is also a very significant factor in her depression. As we saw in the video clip, even as a very young child, she was getting messages from her peers that she was embarrassing. That she didn't measure up. She didn't fit in. Her parents did their best to comfort and assure her throughout her childhood and teen years that she was loved exactly as she is. But their efforts did little to dislodge the powerful lies that had been etched in her heart and mind. 
which left her feeling isolated, insecure, and deeply depressed. Now, see, the problem with labels like the ones that Kate held is that when we start to believe them, when we start to carry them with us, see, the longer we carry the label, the less it describes our past and the more it determines our future. There was a study done some years ago with some students. Um, Some researchers determined that if you take a student and you label them slow, and you don't change anything else about these circumstances, you don't change the room they're in or who they're taught by or or anything in their home life, but you label them slow, their, their performance in school will actually decrease. It'll get worse if they know about that label. But on the other side of that, if you take a student and you label him advanced, and again, nothing else changes, but you label him advanced, his performance in school will actually get better. It'll increase. Now, why is that? Because labels are powerful when we believe them. Labels are powerful when we believe them. Here's how that looks for you and me. If I feel labeled as a failure, maybe because of what I've done in school or something that happened at work or or maybe what's happened in the relationships in my life. If I feel like a failure, I'm going to be afraid to try new things because if I do and it doesn't work out, it'll only confirm what I already believed about myself, which is that I was a failure and now I feel more like a failure. The problem with a label is that the longer we wear it, the less it describes our past and the more it begins to determine our future. Now, I've shared with you guys before that this is something that I've struggled with. Uh, Still do, oftentimes. For as long as I can remember, I've been big, bigger than normal people. Uh, And as a child, I can remember being told by well-meaning adults that I was stocky or chubby or pudgy or big-boned or thick or about a dozen other words for fat. And when when it came from adults, it was almost always out of this place of concern, though it really just felt more like condescension and criticism. Um, At least when my peers insulted me, they had the decency not to hide behind this false pretense of caring about me. They were unabashed about making their opinions of me very clear. Um, I did have a few good friends that I could enjoy and felt safe with, but the vast majority of my school days were colored by being the target of every joke, jeer, and quip, reminding me how overweight and physically unappealing I was. And that continued through elementary school and only got worse in middle school. I wish I could say it ended in my school days, Uh, but even through early adulthood, I continued to receive messages about how my appearance repulsed others, how my personality annoyed those around me, and that my interests weren't nearly manly enough, so I must be gay. That same label, that same story repeated on an endless loop, I am no good and nothing about me is good. Maybe you can relate. Now, as Kate attempted to move forward with her life, she was holding on to and believing these terrible labels about herself that she'd been bombarded by her entire life, both from others and from herself. 
And that is a significant factor in her depression and self-image. Now, lastly, there's a spiritual component to this. Our relationship with God, our spiritual practices and disciplines, our church, as well as any spiritual distortions that may exist within us, they all contribute to our condition. Now, this piece is noticeably missing from the TV show. Uh, There is very little, if any, talk about faith or spirituality on This Is Us. Uh, The Pearsons seem to live their lives, for the most part, without any real talk of faith, religion, or belief in God. I think they talked about going going to church once, but that was it. Uh, So in Kate's case, I would definitely say that the lack of any real spiritual development in her life is definitely a contributing factor to her depression. I do want to add something here. Um, There's this weird thing that kind of pops up in churches or faith communities around depression. Somehow there is this misguided notion that good Christians don't get depressed. Um, which only leads to, only adds to the burden of the person feeling depressed and despondent. Now, any hint of depression around the church and the cliches start to surface. You just need to have a little bit more faith or rejoice in the Lord always, remember. And of course, that just pushes the person feeling depressed deeper into the hole and teaches the discouraged that unless they want to hear the cheap cliches again, they'd better fake it and put on a happy face. I promise you, you are not going to hear that from me today. In fact, if you've ever heard that or something like it from a person in the church, please accept my apology on their behalf. Um, Know that even though they mean well, sometimes it comes out wrong. I want to humbly ask for your patience and your forgiveness for those of us who respond in haste and ignorance to a condition that we oftentimes do not understand and have not experienced in the same way that you have. Today, friends, we all need to hear this. God is with us when we are troubled and depressed. Psalm 34, 18 tells us the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. So with that in mind, knowing that God is with us even in the dark places of life, let's take a look at some healthy ways that we can deal with depression and low self-esteem. So the first thing that we have to do, and this is important regardless of the issue that you're dealing with, is that we have to be honest about how we feel. You have to be honest with yourselves and with others. It's okay to be depressed. Hiding it only makes it worse. It won't make it go away. The book of Psalms is full of David being very honest about what he is thinking and feeling. Uh, Deep sadness, doubt, anger, confusion, a whole myriad of different emotions. And I want you to look at the honest expression of his heart in Psalm 42, 5a. Check this out. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Notice those powerful words, downcast, disturbed. See, David didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't hide what he was feeling. He was honest about it, and he wrote it down. Here at Crossroads, 
We value real, authentic relationships. We want this to be a safe place where you can be free to be exactly who you are. We never want anyone to feel like they have to wear a mask or or play pretend in order to feel like they belong here. If you're angry, if you're doubtful, if you're confused or depressed or mixed up or hungover or suicidal, whatever you are, it's okay to be not okay. This is who we are. This is us. I invite you, bring your brokenness. Bring your pain, your hurt, your disillusionment, your depression. Bring it with you to church. Bring it into the light and into community. Let others see it and let God speak to it so that healing can begin. When we hide or deny our problems, we remove the opportunity for others to speak love and life into our situation. Ephesians 4.15 encourages us to speak the truth in love in order to help one another become more like Christ. And if we're not honest about what's going on in our lives, we'll never have the chance to do that. Now, this next one, uh, it may sound a little weird at first, but I want to ask you to befriend your depression. Befriend your depression. Because the truth is, it might be around for a little while. So you might as well get used to it and learn to live with it, at least temporarily. I think what can happen sometimes when we get down or depressed is that we then get angry about being down and depressed, and as if the depression itself weren't enough, now you're angry about being depressed. Or sometimes we can blame ourselves for feeling depressed, and now we just add guilt onto the things beating us down. Or or maybe we blame God for our depression and start to get angry at him. Regardless of the case, we end up directing our energy all over the place rather than focusing on and paying attention to what's really bothering us. So, Rather than fighting it or bucking against it or redirecting blame somewhere, what if we just accepted the fact that we don't feel right? What if we asked some questions of our depression? What do you have for me? What is my depression trying to tell me? See, friends, when we are depressed and wrestling with darkness... That is when it is most important to stay close to God and put our faith, hope, and trust in him. Now, when we looked at Psalm 42 a moment ago, uh, where David was honestly expressing his sadness, we only looked at the first half of the verse. Now, I want to look at the second half. Take a look. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. I love what David is modeling here. I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to get angry or blame or curse because I'm feeling down. I'm going to continue to praise and put my hope in God because I know that he is faithful. So, rather than fight your depression, dive into it a little bit and see if you can't uncover what it might be trying to reveal to you about yourself. 
Now, following that, and this is especially important once you've decided to be honest and dive into your depression, um, don't go through it alone. Your depression is going to start telling you some things, and they're not all true. So you need to be in a community of people who can listen to you and listen to what you're hearing and help you cipher through the garbage and find the truth. As you start to work through your feelings of sadness and worthlessness or whatever else you might be feeling, you're going to encounter some pretty difficult stuff. And you need to be able to work through it and process it with other people who care about you and want you to be well. Uh, In Galatians 6, the Apostle Paul encourages us to carry each other's burdens, to make sure that we are there, to encourage, support, and help others along in their journey. The world around us, it can be a very toxic place. We've got to get ourselves around healthy people in healthy environments. Notice I did not say perfect people, healthy people. Here at Crossroads, the best way to connect with some people who are going to love you and do life together with you is in a life group. And I know you've heard a lot of talk about life groups in the last couple of weeks, but I want to tell you, it is not too late to get connected. Uh, many of our groups still have openings. So if you have not gotten connected to a life group, can I encourage you today, do that. Go out into the lobby and ask some questions at the Welcome Center and get connected. Um, It is also possible that you may need to walk through some of what you're experiencing with a professional. Um, As Paul mentioned earlier, we have a a resident pastoral counselor. His name is Jim Matthews, uh, and he operates here out of our Fremont campus. If you'd like to get some more information or potentially schedule an appointment with him, uh, his information is actually on the back of your program. uh, So I would encourage you to reach out to him if that would be a good resource for you. Now remember, uh, our condition, it's multi-determined, right? There's more than one cause to the problem, so that it also means that we have to make a multifaceted solution, right? It can't just be one solution. So there could also be a physiological component that you need to address medically, which means that you may need to be open to seeing a doctor. And when you do, it's possible that your doctor might prescribe you a medication, And friends, if that is the case, I encourage you to do that. If you are prescribed something that is to treat a medical component of your depression, take it. There is no shame in doing that. It does not make you weak. It does not mean that your faith isn't strong enough. And it, it doesn't mean that you're less of a person. Take your meds, okay? And let me also add only, take what is prescribed to you, all right? Don't self-medicate, don't play doctor, and don't share your meds with other people or accept meds from others. Uh, Now, I do want to say a few words to those of us who are specifically struggling with their self-worth today. I want to remind you that when it comes to our self-image, a label may describe you but your identity in Christ defines you. The labels that the world give us, those awful words that play on an endless loop in our heads, they might have molecules of truth in them. And that's why it makes it so hard to shake them off sometimes. 
But friends, they are not the whole truth. When someone makes a joke about my weight, or I look in the morning, in the mirror in the morning, and I see this in front of me, the truth is that I am overweight. I have eyes. I know. But it's not the whole truth. Look at Ephesians 2.10 with me. For we are God's masterpiece. You need to say that with me. For we are God's masterpiece. One more time. For we are God's masterpiece. Put that on an endless loop in your head and see how it changes your day. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I am. You are God's masterpiece. You were created with a purpose. You are wanted. You are loved. You are more than the labels you have been given by yourself or others. And right now, I'd like us to hear from someone in our church family who's experienced firsthand what it means to find their identity in Christ. So would you please welcome Van DeCastro as she shares her story with us? Thank you, Lance. Well, good morning or good afternoon, everybody. I'm Van, and um, I'm married to Brad Loudon from the welcome team. We have uh, two boys. We have actually been going to Crossroads for about um, 15 years now. We live in Dublin, and a quick plug, we hold a life group out there, so if you are looking for a life group anywhere in that area, please come talk to us, and we're glad to have you join us. Anyway, off to my story, Jen Jen. Um, <laughs> kind of like, you know. But anyway, I was born and raised in the Philippines. Our family was poor, but my parents made it a priority to send all four of us children to a private education. We lived in a box, rationed our meals, ate top ramen a lot, had mostly pre-loved clothes, and didn't really have nice things, but we were generally happy. They modeled for us what a loving, devoted marriage looks like. In fact, we just celebrated our parents' 56th wedding anniversary. But looking back, you know, and being poor, I remember feeling ashamed of our economic status, and I felt inferior to my peers. To compensate for my insecurities about being poor, I strove to do well in school. I was consistently in the dean's list, had great friends, was popular, and got lots of attention. I felt worthy. At least I did until my first serious relationship turned dysfunctional, and I found myself not knowing who I really was apart from my boyfriend. He became all I lived for. After three rocky years, he decided to betray me and leave me. My world crumbled. Suddenly, nothing else mattered. Not fame, not popularity, not achievement. No thought of good family or friends could seem to pick me up from the mud and mire of worthlessness that I felt myself buried in. It was as if I put my whole life's worth on my boyfriend's hands, and he took my life with him when he walked away. I was only 21. Feeling no sense in moving on, my mind went to the darkest of places which ended up in a plot to take my own life. It was a quiet Wednesday afternoon. I was not expecting anyone to be home. I locked myself in my room and with tears in my eyes, prepared to end my own life. But I suddenly heard my parents' voices in the living room. 
I peeked through the window and saw my parents doing the weirdest thing, looking at my baby pictures. As my mom picked up one of my pictures and showed my dad, she said, look at how cute Van is in this picture. She must have been two years old here. I can't believe how grown she is now. I'm excited to see what she's going to accomplish for herself. Her words hit me like a bucket of cold water. It's as if I got suddenly woken up from a nightmare and reality surprisingly offered hope. How could I be so selfish? There my parents were who sacrificed so much for me, dreaming about who I was yet to become. And yet there I was, about to end that dream. But God moved through my mother's words and reminded me that I had so much more to live for. For the first time, I reached out to my friends. They embraced me without judgment, encouraged me, and urged me to go back to church. They were a manifestation of God's grace and acceptance. And though by God's grace, I am no longer in that dark, desperate place I was so many years ago, I am still vulnerable to self-doubt and forgetting God's great love and value for me. Now I am a wife who sometimes feels like I don't bring enough to the table. I am a mom who feels ill-equipped for parenthood and prays that my weaknesses and failures don't render irreparable damage on my kids. I am a child who is grieving my mom, though she is still alive, as Alzheimer's is quickly leaving her just a shell of who she used to be. And my heart constantly hurts for my dad at their impending separation. Earlier this year, my niece took her own life. She was also 21, her situation similar to mine in many ways, and I felt survivor's guilt. With all that life is throwing at me and my family right now, I have struggled with anxiety, depression, and hopelessness. And I'm desperately clinging on to God's promise that He uses all, whether good or bad, He uses all for good. So when Lance asked me to share my story, it hit me like a cold bucket of water, quite like the wake-up call I got from my mom's words so many years ago. God sees me, and He hears me, and He has a plan for me. I may be a hot mess, but God turned my mess into a message. Through these recent struggles, God has helped me to relearn a few truths, and I'd like to share them with you. He says this to you too. For my sin, he says, I loved you at your darkest. For my insecurity, he says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. For my lack of self-worth, he says, even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Now, some of us probably easier to count than others. <laughs> he said, do not be afraid. You are more valuable than many sparrows. To answer my question of identity, he says, I have created you. I have called you by name. You are mine. God's love for me for each of us is real and unfathomably big, and he longs for us to experience it, whatever we are going through. Thank you.
Ben, thank you so much. Just such a powerful testimony, and I thank you for sharing it with us. Uh, you and your family are just such a blessing to our church, and I'm so grateful for you. Uh, friends, like we just heard from Van, what the enemy meant for evil, God will use for good. And this comes right out of the Bible. In fact, it pops up several times. We put two of those references in your outline. I encourage you to read them on your own. But here's what that means for us. The spot that you're in today, it might not be a good one. Things have happened to you. People have hurt you. Your heart is broken. You feel miserable. And I know that it might not seem like it right now. But God is going to take this part of your story and use it for good. Things are going to turn around. He's not going to leave you here forever, even though it sometimes feels that way. Friends, God can use your past to change someone's future. And this moment right now will be the past. The situations and experiences that you're battling now, God is going to turn them into something beautiful that he will use for good in your life and others. That's what he's done for me. It's what he's done for Van. And it's what he's going to do for you. God helps us and directs us so that we, in turn, can help and support others as described in 2 Corinthians. Check it out on the screens and in your notes. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God gave to us. God, by his grace, comforts us in our brokenness so that we, in turn, may comfort the broken. But our brokenness is not what defines us. You are not what the voices in your head say you are. We are not what the world says we are. We are what the King of Kings says we are. Three words that define and describe you. Child of God. I am. You are. We all are children. A child of God. John 1.12 says this. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. How does God see you? as his son or daughter. He loves us so much that he sent Jesus to enter a broken, dying world, to die on a cross, scorned and broken by the very people he came to save and love. Maybe today you hear this message and you think, there's no way God can possibly love me. My friends, you need to know this truth. He already does. All you need to do is receive it. Because of Christ, we get a new label. 
We get a new way to define ourselves, a new identity. Child of God. Would you pray with me now? Father God, your children are here today. But some of us are hurting. God, many of us in this room, we are, we are sucked down in a vortex of deep sadness, of darkness, of depression, of, of feeling worthless, God. God, we need your strength. We need you to reach out your hand down into the depths so that we can look up to you and see you reaching down to us saying, my child, I love you. I have not forgotten you. I'm here for you. God, may we have the courage to reach up and take your hand. For many of us here today, God, we, we don't know what it means to be your child. We haven't made that leap yet. We, we don't know what it means to be in your kingdom. And God, for those of us in this room who are in that spot today, I want to pray specifically for them. God, would you envelop them with your love? Would you give them an unmistakable encounter with you that helps them to see the great love that you have for them? God, would you guide each of us to walk in your love so that when we look in the mirror, we see ourselves through your perfect eyes as your masterpiece, your sons and daughters. We love you, God. We say this in your name. Amen.